Well, you might imagine there are a lot of differences of opinion about what marriage is these days. And people can't even figure out what gender they are. How in the world can they figure out what marriage is? Let me give you a definition of marriage that I, I got off of the internet. I, I won't tell you the website because I don't want you to follow these people. But this really tells us what the culture is thinking. And they define traditional marriage. This is what the the definition is. Traditional marriages, this is the quote from these folks. Traditional marriages locked the spouses into their predefined roles without any opportunity to allow for individual choice. On the other hand, modern marriages allow for individual preferences. The spouses are considered equal partners and the women have their share of power and control in decision making for the family, end of the quote. So uh, the writers of this particular definition, they are attempting to contrast traditional marriage versus modern marriage. And their opinion of what they see as traditional marriage really sounds like uh, slavery to me. So that's uh, their idea of traditional marriage. Now, the question is, are we trying to establish traditional marriages here? The answer is no. Traditional marriages depend upon the tradition of the culture. And we're not here to defend traditional marriage Our task, rather, is to learn how to live biblical marriage. Our instruction is from the Word of God. Okay, so let let me, let me, please, for the love of Jesus, please, for just a minute, understand this. I, I am not a lecturer giving you all of my great and vast experience about marriage. Neither do I stand here as the model for marriage. Nothing that I'm going to say is Tim Klein telling you what you need to do. You must take me out of this for a moment. I am a blank individual. I'm, I'm, I have no face I have no anything. I'm a voice box that explains God's word. If you can't bring yourself to that, you and I are going to have problems. Because you're going to come to me and you're going to rail on me about something I didn't say. I don't get a chance to say a lot, really. I tell you what the scripture means. Then we all have to wrestle with that. Everyone, myself included. And so, you know, things are are explained and it may hurt your feelings a little bit. And I found over the years that Baptist preacher, Baptist uh, members of churches, uh, their uh, dedication to the Lord doesn't go much deeper than their feelings for the moment. Well, amen. And there's nothing else in the unstable people Uh, They haven't given themselves to the word of God anymore. Everybody, it seems to me, uh, so many of us as Baptists, we 
give ourselves to our own individual understanding of what we think we know. And let me just tell you, after doing this for 30 years, most people I encounter don't know a whole lot. It's just their feelings. And so I, I want you to, to try your best to do this today. Let's, let's go with the scripture first and then we'll let our feelings follow from that, okay? So let's, let's do that. If your feelings are going to block God, then your feelings have become your God. Okay, so you're, you're going to have to bring that down. Then we have all of the information from culture that has shaped your opinion. Your opinion matters zero. It doesn't matter even at all, not even a little bit. The only thing that matters in this moment is what God says. And we have to conform ourselves to what God has said, whether we like it or not. So this is what, this is our task today. It's our task every time we come to the word. It's our task. And so we, we, you're going to have to ask God to do a great work in your heart today. And I will do the same. And whatever it is that I'm holding on to from what I've learned from my experience and culture and feelings and so on, that is going to have to be put aside. And we're going to have to let God be God and let God speak. Secondly, I want you to let you know that this sermon is about a higher cause than what happens within the four walls of your home. So many times in our day, it seems like that we want to study marriage a lot for our own sake. And I want to let you know that marriage is for Jesus' sake. Not yours and not mine. It's for his sake. And I also want to say this to you as well. Um, I, I find great delight in seeing my worship pastors scramble on Sundays. I like it when other people feel my same pain. And Pastor Dan did a great job this morning just trying to pull things together. We had to shuffle stuff around and he did that. Here's one thing I want to say about Pastor Dan. Uh, when we come here and worship, my heart is always full because our worship is full of Jesus just loaded up with Jesus and that is the reason I come here that's the reason I come to this church it's for that reason and so it's all about Christ and so in our singing and in our preaching uh, in our Lord's Supper and baptism it's all about Jesus and it's not about us and we get plenty of us and the world don't we and so we have to get that so so Pastor Dan I appreciate you brother and um Pastor Dan and I are non-huggers, so here's a virtual hug, baby. Yeah. Okay, so, all right. So, there's a difference between traditional marriage and biblical marriage. And so, what does the Bible say about marriage? And so, you have your Bibles. You know where you're going, don't you? Ephesians chapter 5. Man, if you don't know where this is yet, your wife is going to make sure that you do. So, I would encourage you to just mark it in your Bible. Even if you don't read it, just mark it. So, she thinks you're reading it, okay? So, you need to do that, guys. Now, here's what we have. There's a mandate in Christian marriage. And what we're talking about is the spirit-filled marriage. You know, uh, chapter 5 is about the spirit-filled life. What does it look like when we are submitted to the Spirit of God and saturated by Him to the place that He influences our behavior, our emotions, our actions, and to such a degree that we look like Christ. And so we've been talking about our actions that we take. We've been talking about the, the words that we say, our motives, uh, who we partner with in life. We're to walk as children of light. We're not to take part in unfruitful works of darkness. 
um, and, and, so, and so on. And so the, the end result of that is a gospel witness where our lives and our lips can say, Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So the Spirit-filled life produces a kind of fruitful life that gives us the validity and the confidence to be able to call to the unsaved world and to say, Christ makes a real difference in my life, so therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. And so, we're able to make that call because we're living the Spirit-filled life. Well, the Spirit-filled life, that is, being saturated by the Spirit, letting the Spirit of God take the avenues that He has designed to fill our lives with His grace and His power... And so we avail ourselves of those things and he begins to saturate our lives and change the way we see things and change the way we act and live. Well, it it continues on here into the realm of relationships. When we're looking at this stuff about marriage coming up, this is not separate from the rest of the Bible. We don't just cherry pick it out and go, well, here's a, you know, here's a pattern for marriage. We got it down here. This is about spirit filled living. This is an utter impossibility. What we're getting ready to say is an absolute, utter impossibility, except for those who are walking as children of light. And that is that you are allowing the Spirit of God by His Word, by the preached Word, by your study of the Word, by the worship, Word-centered worship with other believers, the fellowship around the Word with believers, the Lord's Supper, which is an illustration of the Word, you're taking these things that the Spirit of God has given you, and He is going, and, and, and as you participate in them, He's going to work through those by His grace to cause His mind, His personality to saturate your life. And as that happens, it changes the way that you live. It changes what you say. It changes who you associate with. And then ultimately it's going to change relationships. Those in your home, those with your children, and those at work. And so now we want to look at, I I want you to understand, you can't just yank this out and give it to the world and say, here, here's what marriage ought to be. They can't do it. And not only that, as a Christian, if you're not walking with the Lord, this ain't going to work either. Okay, so the background of this has to be, be filled with the Spirit. Okay, so remember that, that be, be filled with the Spirit of God in verse 18. That's the, the underlying assumption about what's being told now, what's being said, what's being commanded. We can't obey this just by human willpower. It won't work. Okay, so this is a spiritual exercise just like anything else. Okay, so here we have a mandate of Christian marriage. And first of all, what we notice in verse 22 is the wife's submission. There is a command to the wife. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Whew, this is a popular verse. At least 50% of the population now has just tuned me up. Submission, okay? So ladies, let me, let me say some things. Men, you need to listen because this is going to help you. Submission is her expression of love. This is how she loves in a marriage. She is aligning herself behind the leadership of the man who is willing to die for her. That's what submission is. Aligning herself Out of love 
behind the leadership of the man who would die for her. Secondly, you need to know this about submission. Men, especially you. It is voluntary. The Greek says, wives, submit yourselves. You yourselves submit. It does not say, husbands, make sure your wives submit. Let me tell you something, men, about verse 22. Are you ready? It ain't none of your business. You leave it alone. It is not meant for you to use as a stick or a club to beat your wife over the head and tell her that she needs to submit. That is awful leadership on your part. If you have to do that to your wife, you're doing something wrong, not her. This is between her and the Spirit of God. You cannot command her to do this. This is a voluntary act of love on her part. It is her gift under the Lordship of Christ because it says, as unto the Lord. Finally, she agrees to this submission for a reason. Not because it's fun and not because you deserve it, guys. She submits to this for one reason and one reason only. Because it is an illustration of Christ and his church. And she is willing to play the role of the church in this illustration or allegory. She has decided that she will play that role. So that the world can see what Christ is to his church. And what his church is to Christ. This is all about Jesus. That's the reason that she does it. She shows loving following of her husband because he represents Christ. And they together need to show that relationship to the world. Now let me add this. If you're not a Christian, then what the Bible says here means nothing. Do not advise your lost friends to obey this. Do not do it. Let them fight over the remote. Do not advise them on this. This is an utter impossibility for anyone, any couple, except those who are filled with the Spirit of God and love Jesus supremely. Now then, ladies, if you're sitting there and now you're all bristled up like a possum eating sawbriars, you got a spiritual problem. You are more concerned about your little world than you're concerned about illustrating to the world the relationship between Christ and His church. This is a confronting verse for everyone. It is a difficult verse. It's an impossible verse. Here's something else, though, that must be pointed out. This submission is to her own husband, not to somebody else's. Don't boss my wife around. That's not the way it works. Her submission is to her own husband. Now, 
I've been doing this long enough that I've got some ideas about some of these things, but I will not share them now because it would close down the rest of the sermon. But I think there's a certain way things ought to be done in church, and they're usually not followed. The teaching of the scriptures flows through the husband into the family. That's the way it's supposed to happen. And guys, you and I have failed that so often that we have forced the wives to try to find a way to get teaching of the word because we haven't done our part. So we have to step that up. If you want her to follow, then for God's sake, lead. Lead. Just just lead. You say, well, I, I, I don't know how to lead. Well, I'm going to show you how in just a minute. And you're going to say to yourself, I don't want to do that. You can also reference, ladies, Titus chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. And it gives you some more information there about loving and following. Now look at this. We're talking about the mandate. That means there's a command. And this command is, wives, submit. And, and the word there is a command from the Lord, submit. Now there's also a command for the dudes. Verse 25 is the husband's selflessness is commanded. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Of course, the husband must love his wife with eros, which is in the Greek passion. Of course, he's to love his wife with stergo, which is a consistency and a dedication. And of course, he is to love his wife with phileo, an affectionate companionship. But all of these kinds of loves are to be regulated by the word love here, which is agapao. That's the verb form. And this word means selfless love. That's as simple as I can put it. It's the self-sacrificing kind of love that sacrifices oneself for the good of the one loved. Men, this is the Calvary kind of love. And it must saturate every other kind of love that the husband has toward his wife. You see, men, it's possible to have selfish eros love. It's possible and probable that we'll have stergo kind of love. We need companionship. We need someone to be in our lives. And so we can do that. And phileo, to affectionate companionship. We want a friend. We want a close friend for ourselves and for our own sake. But what happens is when we coat these love, these kinds of loves and we paint them with agapao, what happens then is that we have to turn these kinds of love on their head and say, I do it for your sake, my love. For your sake, not for mine. It must saturate every other kind of love that a husband has toward his wife. Why? Because, guys, we are playing the role of Christ. And we have to show Christ in the marriage. If the wife is to submit and be the church in this allegory, then we have to be Christ. We have to be the head. And we have to show Calvary to our wife and to our family 
and ultimately to the world. Why? Because this is about Jesus. It's not about you. The only way that a husband and wife can have this kind of marriage is to be filled with the Spirit of God. There's a mandate for Christian marriage. There are commands that we are given and they're very clear here. Now, let's keep going. We have next the model for Christian marriage. This spirit-filled marriage. There's a model that's given to us. Now, let's go back to verse 22 and we'll do it again. Wives, submit your own husbands as to the Lord. And now we have reasons. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. There's a model for Christian marriage. And the model is this, and we've alluded to it already, but the saints are the ones who submit. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also the wives. And so the model for marriage is the relationship between Jesus and His church. Why is that the model? Because that's the model because we're supposed to illustrate the model. The marriage is to illustrate that. The lesser, which is human marriage, is supposed to illustrate the greater, Christ and His bride. And so we look to that model to say that's what we're supposed to illustrate. So that's what we must do. And so in the the model here, the saints are the ones who submit to Christ. Christ doesn't submit to them. The followers of Jesus, this is going to be revolutionary. Are you ready? Followers of Jesus, follow Jesus. That's what it means to submit. Just follow The wife is reflecting back to the world what the saints, the people of God do. It's what they practice in their relationship to Jesus. If you want to see what church is, look at the wife. That's church. How she treats her husband, that's church. You want to know what church is all about? That's it. So the saints submit. That's our model. And the other part of the model is this. The Savior saves. Do you see that? It says about Jesus that we're to love our wives, guys, as Christ loved the church, gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing water with the words. He might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. She might be holy and without blemish. Now, um, there's a phrase in here by the washing of water with the word. And, and, you know, I'm reading the commentators on it and they're all arguing about You know, what does washing of water mean? And surely that's baptism. And others, no, it's not baptism. It's this. You know, um, to me, this this is pretty simple, really. The picture here in verses 25 through 27 is the picture of the wedding process in Jewish culture. First of all, it says about Jesus... That he might, in verse 26, that he might sanctify her. Do you know what that means? It means that he chooses her. In the Jewish culture, the bride does not get to choose the husband. 
The husband chooses the bride. And they go and their families meet. And they draw up papers. It's a legal issue now. And they draw up the papers and exchange some money. A couple of camels and a donkey or something. And so now this thing is, is legal. And it's sealed with some authority of some person that verifies that the transaction has legally taken place. Isn't it also true of us that though we were dead in trespasses and sins, that God has chosen us from the foundation of the world and has raised us to life and sealed us with the Spirit of God so that the legal transaction has taken place. If you are part of the church because you're a follower of Jesus, guess what? You're part of the bride of Christ and the legal transaction has taken place and no one can break the seal on that contract. It has been done. What is it that happens next in this procession? This happens over a period of months and perhaps years. But first of all comes the choosing, the sanctifying, the reserving her for himself. Then, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, the next thing that happens in the Jewish ceremony and the whole wedding process is that the bride makes herself ready. Now, girls, I know what y'all do. You get ready to get married and the first thing y'all do is lose weight. Let's just call it like it is. Pastor, you, you say things that people ought not say. Well, y'all do them. And then you put on this makeup like you look like Cleopatra. You know, and you come marching down that aisle. And uh, I've, I've never seen an ugly bride. There were a couple of dangerously close. but <laughs> And man, they're they putting on their best everything. You know, here come. They're smelling good and their hair's all fixed. You know, and all of that. But over that period of time, she'd been preparing herself. Do you remember the story of Esther? Man, she'd get in a milk bath every day. That's oil of Olay back in those days. That's what you get. So preparing and preparing and preparing. Why? Because she doesn't want to have any blemishes. Anything she could possibly help, she doesn't want to have the blemish. Why? Because the day of presentation is coming. You see, the legal thing has been done, and it's a certainty. Now is the time of preparation. It may happen over a period of months. What is the preparation about? The preparation is about this washing. They would wash her and bathe her and prepare her in every way possible that she would be ready for the presentation day. And you'll notice that the presentation day is coming for the church. We are now in the process of preparation. And so Christ is working in us to prepare us. And to take out the blemishes. And to get rid of the wrinkles. And to get rid of the spots. And everything that would be unholy. Every blemish. He's working and sanctifying in our lives. Why are you here today? It's part of the preparation process. We meet every week to say, how's your preparation going? Are you still as ugly as you were last week? You got some work to do. Get on that treadmill. You, you, need, to, you need to go and, and go to Lancome and do something about that. 
You need to get one of those facial scrubs or whatever you got to do. You need to get your nails painted. We're in the process of preparation here. We've got a groom to meet. And so we're in that preparation process. But the day is coming for the presentation day. Look what Jesus has done. That he might present the church to himself. He is doing everything in us that he needs to do to please himself, to present himself to us. And so on that day, when we're presented to him, we're exactly as he wants us to be. And he looks at us with pleasure and with love, knowing that we have become exactly the bride that he died for. That's the model, men, that we have before us. You can take verse 22 and whack your wife over the head with it if you want. But I want to say this to you. There's a lot more written here to the husband than there is to the wife. You see, she's got to model the church. We got to illustrate Jesus. And boys, that ain't easy. We are to make life so that our wives can grow up in the holiness of the Lord. So that they can be discipled under our tutelage, under the atmosphere that we create. That's what we're to do. We are to make her beautiful before Christ. She illustrates the church. We're to do everything in our power. Everything that we can to show her Christ so that it reminds her of Christ and the love of Christ. And in response to the love of Christ, she wants to follow Christ. Now this ver- these verses do not mean that the husband's responsible for the salvation of his wife. That's not true. But he is to love her with the kind of life-sacrificing love that Christ has shown to us. Men, this is one thing I just want to say to you, okay? I, I, I know that guys can only take in about two sentences per hour. Here it is. You can't be passive and get this job done. You can't sit there. With your gut hanging over your jeans watching TV and get this job done. This idea of love is not wait until something stirs up in you. This is get your butt off of the couch and see after your wife. Well, I'm tired, preacher. Aren't we all? I just don't, you just don't know my wife. No, glad I don't. She's just a hard woman to love. Well, it might be because she's got a knuckle-headed husband. Have you ever thought of that? Let me ask you this question. Which sinner did Jesus love that was an easy sinner? You see, there's no out here. There's no excuse. We don't get one. Guys, we just don't get an out. We just don't, well, preacher, I'm just man a few words. We'll make sure they count when you say them. There's no out here. This is an active work. 
This is worse than, this is harder than giving your physical life for her all of a sudden. I mean, I'm assuming that if you're in your home and somebody pitched a grenade in their men that you would fall on it for the sake of your family. I'm, I'm hoping that's true. This is worse than that. It's giving up your life daily to love her. The Lord is in the process of making His church presentable. In a similar way, husbands, we must encourage, contribute to the spiritual nurturing of our wives as well. So, the model for Christian marriage, of course, is Jesus and His church. Now, what's the meaning of Christian marriage? This is important. What does all this mean? This, these, okay, so let me help you with this. this these instructions are not giving, given to us. Uh, families and, and marriages, the, the, you know, husband and wife. This is not given to us so that, oh, okay, now we can have a, a great marriage and um, maybe we can go on a speaking circuit and talk about how great our marriage is. You know, only thing I know about church is it helps my marriage. Talking about self-focused. You know, we just, have, we just need to have more on marriage here, Pastor. Do you know what you're saying to me? You know what you're saying when you say that? You're saying the only thing I care about is what happens in my home. That's all I'm caring about. Be careful now that you don't isolate yourself and become self-consumed. Trying to be so Christian. The meaning of Christian marriage is beyond that. Marriage is a temporary institution. It's not permanent. I just heard a sigh of relief a couple of women... The meaning of Christian marriage. Okay, so what is the meaning? Verse 28 and following. Look at it. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast. And the word there really means to be bonded. Bond himself to his wife. Glue himself to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now, the meaning of Christian marriage. Marriage illustrates something. Just like the Jewish sacrifices of the Old Testament were not permanent. They were meant to illustrate something that was. In the same way marriage, though it's not permanent, it is meant to illustrate something that is permanent. What is it? This permanent unity that we have with Christ. We are members of His body. The reason husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, this is not talking about you know, I take care of myself health-wise. I guess I better take care of my wife. That's not what that means. We're, just, we're talking about Christ and His body. And so the illustration is, <clears throat> men, you're the head, like Christ is the head of His body, the church. So you're the head, and it's like the wife is your body. That's how tight the union is. She's not a, another body. She's your body. She's the heartbeat. She's 
the life that you're living. And so therefore, if you're going to survive, you got to take care of your own body. And your own body happens to be your wife. That's how close this union is. And the reason it's that way is because it illustrates the union between Jesus and his church. Jesus calls himself the head of the church and that we are his body. We are the members. We're the parts of his body. Christ loves his body. And men, therefore, the mandate for us then, the meaning for us of all this is that we must love our wives because that is illustrating how Christ loves his body, the church. The thought here is that Christ is the head. The church is the body. Christ nurtures his own body, the church. Does he not? Does he not nurture? Does he not feed? Does he not look after? Does he not care for? Of course he does. Does he not sacrifice for? Of course he does. In the same way the husband must nurture his wife like she is that kind of body. The illustration from Genesis proves this to be true. Genesis 2.24 there is quoted for us. Therefore man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast. And we talked about the word hold fast means bond oneself. Sometimes we talk about marriage. You know, men, you know how plywood is made, right? It's layers of wood glued together. You can't tear plywood apart without messing it up. It doesn't tear clean. It's splinters and fragments. You ever just broken a piece of plywood? Little splinters and stuff hanging out. You know, it just, it's not pretty. Plywood's not meant to be torn. It's meant to be permanent. And so the marriage is the same way. It's bonded in that way. Why? And then the two should become one flesh. Why? Why this? Why this kind of weird mystical union between a man and his wife? Why? Because it illustrates the mysterious union between Jesus and his bride. It cannot be pulled apart. It's glued together. You cannot tear it apart. There's no way for it to be torn apart. You see, too many of us when we read Genesis 2.24, we think it's about us and our honey. It's really about Christ and His church. We need to stop reading the scripture so egocentrically and begin to read it Christ-centrically. Christocentrically, they say. Does it have an application to our lives? Of course it does. And the reason that it matters for the marriage is because it illustrates Christ and His church. For the lost world, marriage has no meaning. None. Here's what I wish. I wish the state would allow every kind of marriage that anybody wants. Just do it. I don't really give a rip what they say. Some of you have got all your confidence in politics. I have none of mine there. I wish I just let it. But here's what I do wish. They would leave Christian marriage alone and let us do it like we do it. And so the world would know there is a difference. Because I want to tell you something. When people out there in the world, they don't know what they're saying when they say vows. This is why if you try to do a wedding for lost people, you know the first thing the woman wants to do? Uh, preacher, take that word obey out of my vows. That is not going to be in there. 
And you know what I do? I take it out because she ain't going to obey. She's not going to submit. She's not going not to do that. I know that. To make them say those kind of things is, is a falsehood. So, I, you know, their vows need to be something like this. Well, we're going to live under the same roof for as long as we want to. And then we're going to divvy up the goods and go find somebody else. Amen. May I present to you, while they last, <laughs> Mr. and Mrs. Smith, you know, there's nothing, there's no reason for them. Oh, but pastor, they love each other. Meaning what? Meaning what exactly? The kind of love you're talking about? Yeah. About, well, for the guys, about year two. For the girls, it kind of wears off in the third month when he won't put the toilet seat down. The, the warm, fuzzy thing that people get married on, I mean, you know, you, you got to have that or you would talk yourself out of it because it's so scary. But, but that's the one kind of love I mentioned a minute ago, eros. It's erotic love. It's the passion. Passion does this in marriage. And if that's what it's based upon, you hit one of those troughs and it's done. They don't understand. They don't know. But you as a Christian, you do know. You know what the purpose of your marriage is. The purpose of your marriage is not so that you may live long and prosper, Spock. The purpose of your marriage is so that you and your spouse may illustrate to the world this profound mystery that refers to Christ and the church. This is the point to remember. Not that marriage is supreme. And not that God's ultimate point in marriage is that you be happy and thrilled every moment of your life. Instead, the point is Christ. That's the point. That will hold you together. That will make you fight through. That will make you keep going, dear Christian. That will give you a reason when you don't feel like you have one. His bride. The reason you do marriage is for His sake. Women, ladies, wives, the reason that you submit is for Christ's sake. Men, the reason that you give yourself away, sacrifice your life for the sake of her is for Christ's sake. It's about Him. Too much marriage stuff misses this point entirely. Do not miss it. It's not a side point. It is the point. Here's a definition of biblical marriage. And John Stott wrote this one, and I want to make sure I give him credit, especially in the day when it seems that pastors are preaching everybody else's sermons and not telling people. Stott says, Biblical marriage is an exclusive heterosexual covenant between one man and one woman, ordained and sealed by God, preceded by the leaving of parents, Consummated in sexual union, issuing in a permanent, mutually supportive partnership, and normally crowned with the gift of children. 
That's the kind of marriage that we're shooting for. Husbands, are you leading like Christ leads? That's the question. Uh, you say, well, okay, Pastor, you said you're going to tell me how to do that. Okay, here it is. You give yourself away. You wake up every day. You put that cross on your shoulder. You trudge up Golgotha. And you crucify your flesh. When you got married, you gave yourself away, men. Your only question now is, does this help her? Does this nurture her? Does this show Christ's love to her? Is it loving? Is it sacrificial? Am I providing an example of Christ to the world and to my wife? Wives, are you following with respect? Like the bride, the church is designed to follow the Lord. Listen, ladies, let me just help you here. Most of us guys are pretty incompetent at leadership. You're going to have to help us. When we do some kind of small, feeble thing correct, just say, honey, that was so good. We, we need all the help we can get. You think it's uncomfortable to be in the place of the church and living a life of submission? You ought to do what we do. It ain't comfortable either. What happens, guys, when you're married to a woman that's smarter than you? And you say, let's read the Bible together, honey. And you open it to Leviticus. You're smart enough, aren't you, to say, honey, I think it's your turn to read. I'll pray for us. It's still leadership when you say to her, I'm not a very good reader. And you're much better than I am at it. Would you read the scripture for us and I'll pray for us and our children? You don't have to be a scholar, but you do have to lead. Our marriages are a living, constant reflection of the reality of our union with Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, here's a fact. We fail daily. Whether you're playing the role of the church, wives, or whether you're playing the role of Christ, fellas. We fail daily. But here's the thing. We're not going to fail ultimately. Let the Spirit of God have His way. Let Him bring love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and faith into your marriage. Men, if that is the tenor of your life, I don't know any wife that's not going to be thrilled to follow a husband like that. Maybe the invitation today needs to be that we just pray over our marriages. The devil hates marriage because it is a clear reflection of Christ and his church. Every good marriage rubs the dirt of Calvary in the face of old Slewfoot. He hates it. He hates it. Therefore, he attacks it. 
And so this morning, we need to be sure that we spend a few moments in praying for our marriages. Now listen to me. Some of you already have messed it up. You messed up the ideal. You're on your second marriage. Or you lost your marriage and you're single. And you haven't remarried. Or maybe you're on your third marriage. I I don't know. And you're saying to yourself as you read this, it's too late for me. No, it's not. No, it's not. No, it's not. The scripture here doesn't say, wives, submit your own husbands unless you've already messed up, then forget it. It doesn't say that. You must take where you are right now. And you must now begin to obey the scripture. You may not have done it in the past. But you've got to do it now. Now some of you are married to an unbelieving spouse. You love that person. But you know spiritually speaking you have created a problem for yourself. The scripture addresses that too. And we can talk about that at some other time. Again. The Bible gives us instruction for these things because the Bible wants us to reflect Jesus. Here's something for others of you today. My question is, do you love Jesus? Don't tell me about a prayer you prayed one time. You're seven years old. Do you show love to Jesus? Like the wife is to show love to her husband here. That's what your love for Christ looks like. Do you submit to him? Do you honor him? Do you follow him? Do you do everything that you know. To make him look good in the city gates. That's what it looks like. For the person who follows Christ. Don't tell me about some action you took. I want to hear about how you love Jesus. Do you love him? If you don't love him, you don't know him. You see, there are people out there that have read the vows of marriage, but they've never loved anybody. There are people out there that watch TV programs about marriage, but they've never loved anybody. There are people out there that advise other people on marriage, but they've never loved anybody. They know all the ins and outs and intricacies of a wedding and of a marriage, but yet they've never experienced it themselves. So many people are like that as far as Christ is concerned. They know lots of information. They know what it's about. They can answer questions. They may even be able to out-argue you on some of the intricate theology of the Bible. But the problem is they don't love anybody. They never started loving Jesus. If you've never started loving Jesus, you need to start today. What does that look like? Submit. Surrender your life over to him and start following him. What's scary? Not if you understand his love. It's not scary at all. 
The God who drags a cross up a hill and lays himself down on it for sinners and takes the wrath of heaven in your place? How could that kind of Savior ever be scary? But you must love him. He doesn't want a mumbled prayer. He doesn't want some kind of religion in which you have disciplined yourself to do the right things. He wants you to love him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's what his bride does. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much that you have given to us a picture of Christ and his bride. And Lord, help us, O God, by the working of the Spirit of God, that you may form our marriages into the kinds of marriages that would reflect Christ and his bride. Lord, may the world look at us. Lord, I pray that our marriages here today would be strengthened, strengthened by the Spirit of God, strengthened by the knowledge of the love of Christ Jesus for them, and that they in turn would want to live in that love in their marriage relationship. Father, I pray that for those who are on the edge of brokenness, that you would heal. I pray, Father, for those who are considering just giving up that you would refresh their soul and their heart so that, Lord, they may see that you have provided the work of the Spirit of God that they may be able to live this life out. Lord, um, I pray now that you would help us as your people that we would demonstrate marriage in a completely different fashion from what the world does that others may see Jesus in our families. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.